uh, back in the spring, got this call from this ministry called Student Mobilization. They minister to college students. We've been a part of it before. We have lots of students, uh, lots of lots of people out of, that, have, that have come from our church that went on staff. We support this ministry a lot. And they have these summer projects, and this guy calls me and says, hey, we're starting a new one in Orlando, and would you and Heidi be willing to come and lead um, a relationships conference for us? At least I think that's maybe what he said. What I heard him say was, would it be okay if we paid for your family to come down and go to Disney World for a few days? Well, that's what I heard him say. I, I don't know exactly how he phrased it. So there's things you pray about and there's things you don't. And I said yes immediately, that we would gladly come to Disney World for you if that's what you want. And so um, it, was, it was over the weekend. It was on the 18th and 19th. But on June 12th, um, you know, we went down early, spent about four days to Disney World. And I bring this up, and old, old hats will know this. Um, you know, we're big roller coaster people in our family. In fact, I'm either the world's best or the world's worst dad, depending on the moment, where I have always, even when we have a 20-year-old, a 17-year-old, and a 6-year-old, for, for all this time when they, were, when, they were, when they were little, as soon as you got tall enough, you had to ride it. I would take you on there once. And even if you were scared, even if you were crying, even if you didn't want to, we, we, will, we will go on it, right? And, and, um, and I've shown some pictures of this in the past, and this is one of my favorite. Some of you have seen this multiple times. It doesn't really matter to me. I do what I want, right? Okay, so this is, this is from January of 2016, and uh, Layla was, was four years old, and we're on the, the, the Seven Doors Mine Train. We, we good? Yeah, okay, here we go. All right, so this is us. This is four years old. So this is me trying to convince this one that everything's great. The older two, they're, they're fully on board with the program now, and Mom, she's on board with the program. My dad, I don't know what his problem is. Um, <laughs> But this is her. Let's 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 zoom in here on this a, a, a little bit, right? So, um, Cass, our worship pastor, is looking at this picture again, and he was like, "There's more than fear in that face. There's 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 betrayal, right? There's 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 betrayal." So suffice to say, she didn't enjoy it, right? She didn't have she didn't have a good time. But that's okay. She's four, and we wrote it once, and we didn't we didn't write it again. And then something happened this spring, something happened this spring where um, she turned 48 inches. And at 48 inches, there's a whole lot of doors that open up for you, including everything at Disney World, 48 inches, right? So we did a little battle, tested some things out at at Silver Dollar City, and uh, a few things, new things, a thing called Electra Spin that kind of spins you like this, so you're kind of going up and down. She thought that was okay. She didn't love it. She got to ride the swings by herself for the first time. It was amazing. Rode the giant barn swing. Giant barn swing, anybody? This was... We, apparently, she didn't see it in the line. She didn't cry at all in the line, which I thought we were good. Apparently, she just didn't see it. And um, she cried the whole time in that ride. I mean, just beginning to end, she's just crying. And I'm thinking, man, this is not, not going to be great. This is going to be tough. This is going to be tough. Cause it's gonna be, you know. So we go down to Disney World, and, and the very first day there, uh, the first thing that we were going to ride is when you have to be 48 inches. We're called Rock and Roller Coaster. It's one of these roller coasters that launches you out real fast. It's dark. It's got corkscrews, all these things. And, again, here we're on the line. She's, she's, she's crying. I'm like, sweetheart, I, I think you're really going to like this. I think it's going to be fun. We'll just try it once. And if you don't like it, you don't have to ride it again. But we're going to do it this time. Okay, okay, okay. Right? And so she, we ride it, and we get off. And she's like, Dad, that was great. It was amazing. Let's do it again. I want to do it again. I'm like, all right, sweet. Maybe we're getting some momentum. So we go next door to a ride called Tower of Terror. And she knows what this is, and it's got a big drop. And she had it in her head that she doesn't like big drops. She doesn't like big drops. Big drops are scary. 
And so I'm telling you, man, she's crying the whole time we're in line. She's crying, and I'm just getting judged, you know. Right? It's a completely different kid. Same kid. Very different. And some of you are thinking, well, you just should have waited two years. I'm like, no. No. This is a very deliberate thing that we're doing. And this isn't about, you know, forcing some kid to do something they don't want to do. It's not about being uh, a terrible, mean dad. Uh, I'm working a bigger picture plan here. Because here's the thing that I want more than anything. Is I want to raise confident women in my home. I don't want them to be scared of anything that this world's going to throw at them. That no matter what happens, they feel like they have the internal confidence to do and be uh, whoever it is that they need to be. So that's why they have to order their own food when they're really little, if they ask for their own refills, if they have to go up to the counter at a fast food place to ask for some more sauce. They, they have to do this, even when they're too young, even without tall enough at the counter. You just see the top of their head, needs some more ketchup. Right? I don't want them to be scared because ultimately I think these rides are this fun. And when you're little, you can't see it. But if you'll just bear with me, if you'll just bear with me, this can be okay. This is, gonna, this is going to be good. But if you were a parent in line with me at, I don't know, this happened all over Branson, Six Flags St. Louis, Six Flags Dallas. Disney World, everywhere, right? Everywhere. If you see in that moment, all you see in the moment is this dad with a grip on this kid's wrist and um, crying and say, we are going to ride this. If all you see in that moment is that, you think, well, that's a terrible dad. What a mean ogre that dude is. But they don't realize there's a bigger picture plan going on here of what I'm trying to do in investing in the lives of my kids. And so we're ta- in the series that we're doing, we've been looking at a handful of different stories, kind of from all the way from Genesis to the, to the New Testament, just a handful of stories that I think are really uh, important, but for whatever reason just don't often make their way into kind of normal sermon series that kind of give us a picture of kind of some, some things that God has going on and some values that He has that are going to help us. Because I think sometimes... Uh, we don't understand maybe what God's doing in some of these stories or maybe what God's doing in our own story. And I think the, the, the thing that we're going to get from today, and ultimately I, get from, I think we're going to get from this entire series, is this idea, is that God always has a big picture plan. See, God always has a big picture plan. And here's what we do. What we do is that we look at God the same way, like, like, like the mean old dad dragging the crying kid onto the roller coaster. We look at individual moments. Like, if God were good, this wouldn't happen. If God loved me, he wouldn't ask me to do this. This command that he does doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem to be good for me. 
and we look at God in a very narrow isolation. And, and the more that we do that, then, then God doesn't make sense, and, and we have a hard time trusting him. It's like, I don't understand. I don't understand why he did this. I don't understand why he wants me to do this. And if all that were true about God, if all you could say is true, is that he let this one thing happen in this one moment to you, then you might would have a legitimate argument or beef with him. But God is working a huge, big-picture plan, not only in your life, but in your family's life, in the life of our church, and ultimately in the world and billions of people who haven't even lived yet. And God is always working this big-picture plan. And we need to do a good job as we're looking at these stories and as we're looking at the story of our lives to not look at God in this narrow in this narrow isolation, but to try to figure out, man, what is the big picture plan that God is working in my life and in our lives? And we're going to see that here in this passage that we're going to look at today, but we're going to set it up first here with really the first commandment that God gives to people in general, and it's in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 28. Just, we'll look, just, just, just 28, Genesis 1, 28. And God says this, verse 28, it's right after creation of, of, of man and woman. He says, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. A couple of things from that verse, kind of in this very f- first command, this is before sin has entered the world and it's not just about, hey, don't do these things, better do these things. But even before sin was in the world, God gave us a big picture command. And most people, when they look at this verse, and really kind of the primary idea here is that He has given us uh, the authority to kind of rule over and subdue the earth. It is ours, and He has put us in charge of it. And there may be another time we'll come back to this verse, to this idea, and kind of evaluate really what does it mean for us to be the ones, the stewards, the caretakers of this world that God has created and the, and the responsibility that we have and some of the failures that we go through and what, our, what we need to be doing to do a better job at this. But for today, we're going to look at a different part of this verse because there's another part of it in here where he says that I want you to, to, to grow in number and I want you to fill the entire earth. I don't want you to just hang out here. I don't want you to all cluster here. I want you to fill the entire earth. And what we're going to see is God has a big picture reason for that, and this is what he wants us to do. I want you to go everywhere that there is a place to go, and I want you to fill this earth. All right, so this is in Genesis chapter 1. Then we move on. We have Adam and Eve and the eating of the apple and the fall and sin enters the world. And then you have Cain and Abel where one brother kills another brother over some hurt feelings that God loved his offering, his brother's offering more than he did his. Then you have the story of Noah and the flood, that there was so much sin in the world, God wanted to say, let's just start over. And so he, he, he works through Noah and this worldwide flood. and That gets us all the way to Genesis chapter 10. And now in Genesis chapter 11 in verse 1, um, we have a story that you may be familiar with, at least the name, or you may have some concept of the story, but it's not a particularly well-known story compared to others, and it's called the Tower of Babel. And with this, we need to make sure as we read this in Genesis chapter 11, this idea that what God had called all of us to do was to completely fill the earth. 
In Genesis chapter 11, we kind of have their response to this. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and, and, and um, tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, before we get to God's reaction to this, we should be paying attention enough to know this is not a great idea. Okay? And you think, well, I mean, just, just building a city. Cities are good, right? You need a city to live in. And towers, they can be kind of cool, right? There's nothing seemingly wrong about a city or a tower, except you hear what they're saying and why they're doing it. They're afraid that, that, that they might accidentally scatter amongst the whole earth. It's like, I don't want, I want us all to stay together. So if we build this awesome tower and this awesome city, no one's going to want to leave it. And so everyone will stay close. We won't scatter, which we don't want to do. And um, then it'll kind of be, we'll be kind of cool. We're making a name for ourselves. Look how great we are. Look how powerful we are. Look, how, look at what we can accomplish. And so they are rejecting God's command to go and fill the earth. And so God has a response to this, verse 5. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them, uh, scattered them from there all, over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So what God said he wanted is he wanted people everywhere. And so then they go on this campaign to say, hey, we're going to make sure that we can do something here that will make sure that we are never divided and that we always stick together and we don't want to be scattered amongst the earth. And God looks down and says, man, this is not good. This is not good. And so he, he immediately in that moment, he just confuses their language and then apparently by some supernatural means spreads them out all over the earth. And so their idea was to not do this thing that God called them to. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't want to be scattered, and they wanted to make a name for themselves. And there's a couple of big picture ideas that I think we need to make sure that we grab from this passage. And the first one is this. The first one is this, is that sin at its core, at its very core, is rebellion. It is saying to God, the God of the universe, the creator of you and the creator of everything, the one who is in charge of everything, it, says, it does not matter to me what you say. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless. I'm in charge, you're not. And that's why sin ultimately is so devastating between, between us and God. It's not necessarily the thing that you do. It is the act of rebellion to say, God, it does not matter to me what you say. Because ultimately, again, you take a step back from it. I mean, it's a, it's a tower. It's a tower in a city. There's lots of cities and lots of towers. Cities and towers aren't bad. And in fact, their desire to kind of have unity as a community, that's a good thing, right? I mean, rewind a few months, I'm sure we talked about it. Fast forward a couple of months, I know we will. How important it is for us to love each other. That's all they're trying to do, right? 
They're just trying to love each other. And, 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 and that's a good thing. Except it's not what God told them. But they didn't like it, and they didn't understand it. So they didn't do it. But it's still rebellion. And you need to understand this piece of it, too. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you agree or understand. It just doesn't. And I think that's a hard thing for us to put our mind around. It's a hard thing for us to put our mind around that it's like, it just doesn't matter. Well, I don't understand why he would even ask this. I don't even understand why he would do this. This doesn't make sense to me, and so I'm not going to do it. And that ultimately is a rebellion. That is moving out from the authority of God and saying, I'm going to be my own authority. It's a, can we just be honest? It's a toddler attitude. But I don't want to. And they don't have the brain capacity to understand one way or the other, and so they just, they just do. And that's what we're doing. And so what they wanted to do was to make a name for themselves. We didn't want to be scattered. This was going to be what was going to make them happy. And, and this is what they say, and this is what you say. You know, doesn't God want me to be happy? And this, following this rule, this wouldn't make me happy. And breaking this rule this way would make me happy. And God loves me. And isn't ultimately that what he wants? I want to agree with some of that. Is that noncommittal enough for you? I mean, yeah, I mean, God is definitely interested in your well-being, but we need to come, come to grips with this, is that we're way too short-sighted to have any idea what ultimately is going to make us happy. And that ultimately, most of this life, most of this life is about us trusting that the God of the universe knows better what is in your best interest than you do. And whether or not I understand this command, and whether or not I understand and agree with it, is irrelevant. Whether or not it makes sense in this very narrow moment that what I'm doing you know, is good or bad. It, God's working a big picture plan. And we can't rebel against that. And so we need to give up. We need to give up this control. We need to give up this idea of making a name for ourselves. We need to give up this idea that somehow I can determine in small individual moments what's best for me in contrast to what God says is best for me. Because at its core, this rebellion that we go through, this thing that we do, it crushes us. It divides us from God. And ultimately, if even if all that you care about is what is in your own best interest, following along and going with the big picture plan of God, that's what's in our best interest. And so even though the individual thing that they did isn't that bad, but because it was rebellion and because it wasn't in line with the big picture plan that we're about to talk about, it was ultimately to their detriment. And so then God comes down, what does he say? He says, Man, this isn't good. Look at what they're able to do. We're going to have to put a stop to this because who knows what they might would do next, which sounds a little bit... Like you read that, you think it's God intimidated by them? Is God afraid that they're going to take over? Is he scared? I, I think God still recognizes his ultimate authority over them and that his smite, better, smite button is like tougher than their ability to build a tower. I don't think he's scared of them. 
I think he's scared for them. If this is what they'll do now, what will their next idea be? And so he's worried about them. He's worried about the next level of sin. He's continued to see this, this idea of sins. Like, so what he decides to do is like, we're just going to scatter them. I'm going to confuse their language where they don't understand each other. I'm going to put them all over the earth. And so in that moment then, now there's this incredible diversity of language and location in the earth, which has led some people wrongly to believe that diversity of language and this spread outness of culture is in fact a punishment from God. And it is not a punishment. It felt like a punishment to them, but it is not a punishment. In fact, you need to make sure, again, this is the second big picture idea we need to get from this story, is that diversity is one of God's core values. This is a core value of God. This is something that God loves and cares about deeply. So he says from the very beginning, what I want, what I want is for you guys to spread out all over the earth. I want you to get as far away from each other as possible. And I want you to build different communities all over the world. And what's naturally going to happen? Different races are going to come. Different languages are going to come. Different cultures are going to come. Different ways of life. There's going to be rich diversity all over the world. And the unifying piece of that was meant to be that we all worship the same God. We look different. We speak. At the very, describing what it's going to be like at the very end, John describes it this way, And after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm, palm branches in their hands. And it says that they were singing praises to God through Jesus. And it's this beautiful picture of people in different languages, different colors, all coming together to celebrate and worship one God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that diversity is a core value of God. Now, I'm going I'm to pause here for just a second. Because this is what happens. You start talking like this. And eventually one or some of you are going to think, he's making a political statement there, isn't he? I assure you I'm not. Because to me this has nothing to do with politics. And I'm going to give you two reasons why this is not a political statement. One, the political issues surrounding these kinds of things are way more complicated than either side wants to communicate to you. Because really all they're interested in is making you scared and accumulating power. And that is a broad, diverse statement. And secondly, if I were to make a political statement about it, what would happen is, one, that's all you'd hear. And two, 
you could think that you have accurately applied this passage by having the right thought about it and sharing a poignant uh, post on Facebook. And you think, well, I have the right opinion, and I, I, I shared this article. And way too often, we as the church have decided that we're going to defer action on these kinds of issues to political people who I honestly do not believe are interested in resolving any of these problems. Now, there are some things that our country is doing and has done and probably will continue to do that have been and are horrible. And we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility. But here's the thing that we need to focus on. We need to focus on a couple of things. One, what is our individual responsibility? What is my individual responsibility to, to, to highlight this incredible value that God has of diversity of cultures and races and language? And what do we have as, as a community, as a church? What is it that God has called us to? Because here's the thing that I think is amazing. I love it when people who look different than me end up here. And in the first service, it was really cool. There were a lot of people, probably from, from five, six, seven different countries, all different kinds of races that were here part of the first, first service. This is, a little, this is a little less than that, but even still, there's some diversity here. And what we strive to do and be as a church, that we want to make sure that everyone, no matter where it is they come from, no matter their background, that they feel loved here. And it's an interesting balance. Sometimes we don't do a great job, you know, because you can come someplace and, and, and you can feel awkward if you don't fit in. And we want to make sure that we're the kind of church that if you don't feel like you fit in, we want to go out of our way to make sure that you know that we care about you and we want you to fit in. We also don't want to go the other extreme, right, where we try so hard to make you feel accepted that it just feels weird. Hey, we're so glad you're here and that you're not white. You know, so, so somewhere in there, if you're here and, and you look around and you see a lot of people different than you, we want you to know that we believe that it is, it is a blessing from God himself that you are a part of this and we get to worship with you. And I want you to feel as an individual member, if you are white and everyone around here looks like you, I want you to feel a responsibility when you're here to make sure that in just the, just, just with just the right amount um, that you communicate how, how much you're glad that they're here. And I also want you to know that in your world and where you live and where you go to school and where you work, there's a lot of diversity around you. And we want to make sure, we want to be a part where we're communicating a space here that is safe for everyone, that is inclusive of everyone, and we want you to be reaching out to people, not the people who are just like you, but to all sorts of people. Because this is a powerful, this is a powerful value of God and can show unity to a world that does not seem to understand what a strength and a value diversity is. I've already, um, over the course of the last couple of months, I've reached out. Um, to some pastors of churches of, uh, that look very different than ours and just trying to talk to them about what it would look like for us collectively as churches to kind of love each other better and to celebrate diversity better. So there may be some church initiatives that come from this, but ultimately I want you to think not about church initiatives but your initiative. What would it look like for me while I'm here and in my life to celebrate and reach out to people who are very different than me. Because it is a beautiful thing and a primary value of God. 
And in addition to that, this is why it is very important for us as a church to be involved in global missions. You know, what, what God says here in Revelation 7-9 is that ultimately He wants people from all over every corner of the world, every shade of color a person can be, every language that someone can speak, and every tradition. He wants all people like that to worship Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Which is why we will continue to support our people who are in China, who are in Thailand, who are in Malaysia, who have been going to Kenya, who have been all these different places. Because here's the thing that can happen from time to time is that people will talk about going overseas and doing some mission. And they'll say this. And if you've said this, it's okay. It's okay to have said it. Not, But now that you've heard me say you can't say it, you don't get to say it, okay? So you get past all the way up until right now, right? All right? Here's the thing that people say. Why would you go overseas when there's so much need here? It's not a question of need. It's a question of celebrating the richness of diversity and making sure that people of all kinds, not just the people who are like me, that all people from all places have the opportunity to celebrate and worship this awesome God. And so locally, we want to be a place of diversity, of safety for all types of people. And ultimately, we want to be a church that has impact globally, that takes the message and hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. So we're about to move to a time of worship like we always do to kind of have some reflection time. And I would just have you ask God, God, what do you want from me? What is something I can do either locally and or globally to do more to celebrate and bring about this rich value of diversity that you have? And I guarantee you, in, in the first few moments of you asking God that question, He will have an answer for you. There is something that He wants you to do. There is a way that He wants you to reach out, to make sure that all people know that they are loved by God and loved by you. So just ask God what that would be. And as always, there's the prayer team in the back. We'd love to pray with you if you have a a need. There's communion available for connection with God. There's prayer candles, a cross, lots of different ways to reflect. And we're also taking our offering. And today's July 1st. And for you guys that don't know this, it's going to be just 30 seconds of business, okay? 30 seconds, right? This is kind of the start of our fiscal year. And because it's July and people are gone and people forget things, typically what our fiscal year looks like is July is really bad in giving, and then we spend the whole year just kind of battling that. I've got an idea. It's radical. Let's not do that. (laughs) Right? So what that means is let's just be diligent about our giving now. Let's be diligent to be faithful givers, faithful tithers of giving what God has given um, us to give it back to Him. Because again, 10% of what you give here leaves this place and goes does incredible things for God all over this nation and all over this world. And so it's a great way to, to celebrate that and to be an, have an impact. And so if God is encouraging you to kind of take that next step, get better connected, I encourage you to, to, uh, to start giving and watching God just do incredible things in and through your finances. But let's not leave here today. Let's not leave here today without taking some serious time and asking God, what is it I can do to celebrate more diversity and to bring more people, more different kinds of people into awesome relationships with you? Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for this time. I thank you for these awesome people. 
I thank you for the people here that don't look like me, that don't think like me. I thank you for the beauty of that. And God, I pray that you would make us a church even more diverse than we've ever been, bringing all kinds of people from all over the world. Every color, every language, God, bring them here that we can all together in unity celebrate you and your son, Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that we'll be a church that takes that attitude and sends it out to the whole world. And so God, I pray that we would not be waiting for any politician, any political party, that we would not be waiting for the church, but all of us individually and then collectively would go out and bring your hope and love to the whole world. And we thank you for your son, his death on the cross that makes it possible. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.